As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Real spoilers powered by ReviewSTL.com. Warning, the following film discussion will ruin the ending of any movie you haven't seen. Example, Bruce Willis is dead at the end of The Sixth Sense. See how I ruined it for you? Just like that. Here are a few more. Silent Breed is people! I am the father. Get it? Real spoilers. You've been warned. Broadcasting from the Lush But Not Lavish studios located in the basement of the O'Keefe Institute for Advanced Film Snarkitude, this is Real Spoilers Episode 475, a very special episode. This is something we don't, I, I was going to say don't do often, I guess I could say don't do ever. We don't do ever. <laughs> We've never done something <laughs> like this. So uh, we're broadening our horizons. We're being joined today via skype phone by uh, Jeffrey Weissman. Hello, Jeffrey. I feel special. You should feel special. <laughs> um, and uh, and you probably best know Jeffrey as the, what's the polite way to say this? The other George McFly? Is that? Yeah, I, I refer to myself as George the second. Okay. <laughs> That's pretty Just good. Don't be George the third because he was crazy. Yeah, right. Yeah. So uh, uh, I, I think George the first may have been a little crazy. Well, too. that's touche. So, uh, so just a little crazy. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I, as Back to the Future f- fans know, mm-hmm. that uh, Crispin Glover is not in two or three. Different. He's very different. And uh, I guess he was holding out for more money and didn't, and <laughs> held out a little too much <laughs> and ended up not uh, in the sequels. Yeah. And so they, they, they brought in another actor, and it's it's Jeffrey. So how, I guess let's just kind of start with, like, how did that transpire on your end, that had to be kind of a weird happening. It uh, it was a surprise to me. <laughs> uh, Crispin and I share the billing in part two. If you look at the end credits, he he gets a credit because of the two close-ups they use of him. Uh, but uh, he called me up and said, you know, that's not fair how they treated me. And I said, you're absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> so he... Uh, because they made me up to look like him, you know, he he sued for uh, unauthorized use of his likeness, and they settled out of court. And he got close to the million dollars he was asking for anyway. So oh, well, I did all the work, you know, and he got the pay. <laughs> uh, you know, it was uh, a very strange uh, place to be for me, and uh, it didn't really help my career at the time because – they were trying to keep me secret so Crispin right. wouldn't sue you know and it was like what are you guys thinking are you 
idiots. Uh, well, apparently they were. But nonetheless, <laughs> like, how could they keep it secret? Because at some point, like, this movie's gonna get released. He'll piece it together. The, the I it was sort of I think it was more of a uh, ego driven bad choice thing on both sides, really. I mean, Crispin, for all intents and purposes, should have been flexible and worked with them to to reprise his role because he was so wonderful in the first film and and vital to the story. Because, you know, he was supposed to play Seamus in part three. And, Is that right? Oh, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know that. And then uh, he apparently was a pain in the ass on the first film, making a lot of demands. You know, he and Leah made a painting together in rehearsal and brought it. he brought it in, insisting that it be part of the McFly household. And Bob Z. Zemeckis said, you know, I got an art director. I can't step on his toes. You know, that ain't going to work. And that pissed Crispin off. And then Ken Chase, the, the makeup guy, trimmed his hair uh, when he fell asleep in his makeup chair and Chris, Crispin blew up. And, you know, Crispin is a, a, a bit of a genius of an actor. He's an excellent actor. Just uh, takes the his neuroses a little too far, I think. But he's a nice guy. I had worked with him on a film in 83 at the American Film Institute, and I, I found him fascinating. So I, I had his number. I even called him when I was up for being what they told me was his uh, stand-in photo double. Oh. <laughs> in my mind, they needed George in multiple places at the same time, like they were doing with Michael, because uh, the uh, my buddy, who was the agent for uh, Lookalikes, also uh, uh, supplied Kevin, who was Michael J. Fox's double. And and so I'm my in my mind, you know, I was just going to be a support player. I needed to get uh, my medical insurance at that time because my my second kid was due and <laughs> I needed coverage. Yeah. <laughs> Ironically, during production, Tom Wilson's kid, Michael J. Fox's kid, and my kid were all born three boys uh, within two weeks of each other. <laughs> wow. wow. So just to add to the uh, stress of being in production. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Man, that's <laughs> Wait, tough. I got to hold, hold up uh, shooting. I got to go coach my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Were you brought into this film because you had worked with Robert Zemeckis in a previous film, or how did you actually get on board? I, I wish I wish Robert knew me from when I worked on <laughs> I Want to Hold Your Hand. Yeah. Uh, I, I was just a, uh, a grunt uh, extra in the crowd scenes and outside the New York Beatles Hotel in uh, I Want to Hold Your Hand. That's a, a funny story in itself because it was supposed to be the middle of January uh, in 63 or 4, and... Uh, it was over 100 degrees in the back lot of Burbank. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and all the extras, you know, are bundled up and they're dropping like flies. It was <laughs> it was pretty insane. And the, it was extra long hours because they'd water down the sidewalk and all and it would evaporate before the take was over. <laughs> um, and, and Zemeckis didn't – maybe his confidence was lacking on crowd direction. So he brought in Spielberg to direct that. So that was kind of cool to my one of my wow. first film appearances to be directed by Spielberg. I guess in retrospect, I've been in one, two, three, four films that Spielberg uh, either executive produced or had a, a good deal to do with. That's wow. pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah. So what was the so the two Back to the Futures and then I Want to Hold Your Hand, but then what was the fourth one? Uh, Twilight Zone movie. Oh, that's right. I forgot about his involvement oh, with the Twilight yeah. Zone. He was he was exact producer on that, wasn't he? And he directed he direct one, one of the segments. 
He directed the Kick the Can remake, and yeah. uh, the horrible accident had taken place. And three months later, my agent called me and said, uh, you're being brought in to uh, audition for George Miller for his segment on Twilight Zone. And I was like, they're going to finish that film? That's horrible. Yeah. Um, because of poor Vic Morrow and the kids. Right. And uh, and she told me that, uh, you know, Spielberg decided that, you know, the accident took place right near the end of shooting on that segment and they had enough to, to finish it and that he really wanted to finish the film. And, you know, it, it of course felt like it was in bad taste. But that then on the other hand, you know, the show must go on. Uh, and then I got to meet George Miller and just fell in love with him. What a what a terrific person. <laughs> we, we got along uh, immediately very well. I, my audition, in fact, was to tell him a joke. <laughs> and uh, we we chatted a lot because it was his first Hollywood film and he was just taken by Hollywood. And I was it was my first co-star role in a film. And I, I was loving being in the, the thick of things. I had been in various films like FM and The Rose and I Want to Hold Your Hand, etc., but only sort of as an extra, which was totally unfulfilling. For, you know, you're an actor and you want to sink sure. your teeth into a role. So it, it was a nice step for me. And and with the ensemble on Twilight Zone, it was just remarkable. George cast really fun, talented folk, just like uh, Zemeckis did on Back to the Future and like Clint did on Pale Rider. I've been very fortunate to be on some great ensembles. Was that something that George Miller only did for that film? Or is that kind of a normal part of his process do you know in the script the role of the young newlywed married man that i played hadn't really been fleshed out because when we got on set he explained to me that there weren't really a lot of lines i i, I saw that <laughs> there weren't a lot of lines um and he said but if you feel during the rehearsal process uh that there's something that comes up organically let's go for it I think I came up with maybe a half dozen lines and came up with plenty of business. There's a quick shot of my, my wife and I fighting over the pillow when we think we're going to crash. It's like the pillow's going to help. <laughs> uh, you know, just little bits and pieces. And sure enough, most of it got cut. But it didn't really matter. It was just exciting as can be being on that set and, and uh, working with – it was one of the first times Garrett Brown worked with his Steadicam, which was a new invention at the time. Right. Uh, and George was also beside himself because – it was one of the first times they figured out how to put a tap on the lens of the camera so they could do video playback for him oh, or at oh. least a monitor to see what he was shooting. So it wasn't just Alan Davio, the cinematographer, who could see what was going on, but George could see. And, and he loved that. That was really thrilling. And being on the set, I'm a, a very people person and I loved getting to know Donna Dixon and uh, Abby Lane and, and J.D. Johnson and, and uh, some of the extras. There was a guy named Spaz. You'll see him every once in a while. He's got a giant mohawk. And he was in Blade Runner. And he was telling me about his fight with Harrison Ford that got cut from that. And <laughs> Milton Berle's brother was a, a professional extra. And he was on it. And I got great stories about his brother being kidnapped by Al Capone. Uh, in Chicago, it was. I just love uh, being a part of it. The uh, the technology and the the people. I I was. I felt like I was home. It was really nice. Yeah, I guess you probably had uh, extra love for the extras. No pun intended, since you had done a lot of that previously. Like you kind of know that it, how easy it is for them to get overlooked. So you were probably like, I'm going to go be a part of that. Yeah, there's this there's this strange nasty hierarchy 
uh, in show business where the extras really often are treated like crap. And having, you know, been, uh, you know, my, my foot in the door doing extra work in crowd scenes and such, uh, I got to see, you know, they're, they're just regular people just trying to get, either get the foot in the door or make some money or what have you. So I, I try to be friendly with them as opposed to second ADs who dis- decide they got to crack the whip and rub their noses and shit or, you know, there's, <laughs> you know, always the last in line to eat and always inferior food. Not all productions are like that. And I'm, I've been a big advocate for, uh, in fact, I have to point out that one of the first actors to mentor me was a professional, uh, extra. I was, uh, I was probably 14 years old and I heard Mel Brooks was shooting a, a film in my neighborhood and going through the Santa Monica mall. I started seeing people in Victorian uh, Victorian evening wear, and there was a, a, a rather large man whose mustache was kind of flapping. And I was like, excuse me, sir, your mustache is coming off. And he goes, oh, is it? Who are you? I said, I'm an actor. <laughs> <laughs> what have you done? And uh, I said, well, I, I did Merchant of Venice and Dark of the Moon and, and uh, Blythe Spirit and all these different shows I had already done in junior high and high school. And he said, oh, really? Would you like to meet Mel? I said, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so he took me over to the Mayfair Music Hall where they were shooting the Putting on the Ritz number for Young Frankenstein. Oh, that's fantastic. Nice. And the first person I met was Marty Feldman, who was in his street clothes, and he was carrying a man bag. And I was impressed. I was like, hey. <laughs> this is very ahead of his time. Yeah, 74? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And uh, – and then I saw Peter Boyle in the in the creature makeup, and I was like, "Oh, this is going to be so cool! Look at those shades of green! It's going to be so wonderful in color." <laughs> okay, wait a minute, where's the color? And then uh, and Mel came by, and and my friend uh, Mr. Wallach, who introduced me, he said, "Mel, you want to meet this kid?" And and Mel is, "I have no time for kids." <laughs> that was my big meeting. Uh, but I got to sit and watch a take or two. And then uh, uh, Roy Wallach and I exchanged numbers. And then he started bringing me to sets. I, I went and visited while he was working on Medical Center. And, and uh, uh, at one point caught Chad Everett having a shot off his flask up on the uh, <laughs> stairway of funny woman that I was playing on. Uh, <laughs> and he took, It was funny because I was at the top of the stairs. He didn't see me there. This giant stair- stairway for that movie was still there on the 20th Century Fox set, I think, or wherever we were, MGM. Anyway, um, took out a flask, did a little Shakespearean line, and took his, his shot. And so I, having done Shakespeare, started reciting some Shakespeare, and he, he was, like, startled and looked up. And was like, oh, not bad, kid. And put the flask away and went back to the set. Uh, and then he took me up to Roy took me up to uh, the Theatricum Botanicum where Will Gear uh, housed his his theater troupe and did performance. So he kind of, you know, helped me into the professional door and and uh, got my, you know, toe toe in the water as to where, so with some nice experience on set. My parents didn't want me to be an actor. They never do. Yeah. No. <laughs> My my grandmother, God bless her, she would say, oh, darling, she was British, and she'd say, darling, if it's in your heart, you must do it, and, and don't listen to them, and here's a $20 bill, go buy yourself an ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> ice cream's really expensive yeah, in I was L.A. Like, well, that's, that's, that's crazy pants. Yeah. <laughs> 
So some very nice ice cream. Yeah. So on to know. So going back to Back to the Future too. So you get you know you get to be a part of this big movie, and you're introduced to this cast who has all worked together on the first film. And so what was the reception like? You know your first day on the set. Oh, it wasn't pretty. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know I think Leah was in shock. Um, that it was from the almost the the first screen test. I knew something was weird. Um, I had done the makeup fittings for young George, because that was probably the most important to, to match at least the angles and uh, Crispin's face and stuff, such. And uh, Ken Chase, the makeup designer, was the one who told me that Crispin was out. You know, usually your agent tells you something like that, but to have the makeup guy tell you, that was a little shocking. I said, how, how can he be out? They can't make this movie without him. He says, that's it, you're George. And I was like, what? So were <laughs> you, were you, were you sh- going to shoot that day? And then they tell you that you're George or was there was, no, this, was this just uh, a fitting? This was during a fitting. And okay. and then I went to the screen test as the young George makeup where Bob Z, Robert Zemeckis asked Dean Cundy, what do you think? And Dean says, well, I think we got Crispin without the trouble. Uh. <laughs> so that what's that process? So I'm kind of uh, a special effects nerd. Like I kind of love the the makeup and things like that. What's that process like for you? When they sit you down, do they take a mold of Crispin's face and then try to match the makeup to your face? Or how do they do that for you? They probably more than likely had a life mask of Crispin's, you know, that they had taken from the first film since he wore old age prosthetics on that. And of course, during the trial and all, Ken uh, Chase ended up actually getting fired, I think, the first day or so of shooting because uh, when Zemeckis asked when I would be ready, he told the ad he'll be ready when when i'm done with him <laughs> and zemeckis is like you <laughs> that that sounds so about right out. but obviously something happened during the lawsuit where crispin's attorney tried to subpoena the life mask or something and ken uh had conveniently dropped it i don't know it, it was such a silly big mess well anyway what happens is they'll do um uh, Acetone, not uh-huh. acetone. Acetate, um, acet- acetate, whatever the gel is that hardens uh, of your face. Sure. To take the imprint of your face, and then they have a mold, and and can pretty much recreate a life mask that you'll see in model shops that you know Bela Lugosi and and uh, Boris Karloff life masks still exist. You know, and uh, people replicate them because what what a great thing to have on your wall absolutely yeah absolutely <laughs> so and then i had to do a body cast as well uh, and when they do the life mask you know they put straws up your nose right right oh. and uh something happened on twilight zone movie um while we were shooting my my girlfriend's cat had had kittens and about three in the morning while i was asleep i was like what's that on my arm ow and i lift my arm and there was a little kitten hanging from it <laughs> Grab the kid and I go back to sleep. You know, I got to be up in three hours for the the call of the shoot. And the next day, um, I had developed a, a like a cyst in my elbow. Oh no! And uh, it was it was Milton Burrow's brother. He says that's just a cyst. You just rub that; it'll go away. I rubbed it; it became two. <laughs> by the next day, I had another cyst. I thought or something in my armpit. And these red lines going up my arm, and oh, I no. wasn't feeling well. And I canceled my lunch with John Lithgow, and and uh, went to the Warner Brothers nurse, who sent me to a lo- local doctor. And she said, "Drop your drawers and give me three shots of penicillin in the butt because it was blood poisoning. I had cat scratch fever." Oh. And so, 
where was I going with this? Oh, the body cast. Yeah. Uh, because of that, being on the fuselage, rocking, and I was feverish and on meds and everything, uh, I think I developed claustrophobia. Uh, oh, man. Probably com- combined with my older brother and sister's putting a pillow over my head when <laughs> screaming so loud uh, as a kid. I've never flown well since then. And when I did the body cast and the uh, the makeup uh, casting, uh, my claustrophobia kind of reared its head. Uh, so we were we were shooting. There's there's this uh, stuff. If you ever go to the bonus material and Back to the Future Two, always there's do. Uh, uh, the pizza shot, the pizza scene that was cut, where I rotate. Uh, Lorraine says to George, "Rotate your axis for for dinner for pizza." <laughs> yeah. uh, hydrated in four seconds, and I go okay for <laughs> you know and do a golf <laughs> swing, and I'm in a body cast there that. Uh, has a pole going through the back of it that went through the set. And then on the queue, the Teamster would turn me and I'd do that effect. Where, and it just didn't match because she'd already set the plate on the on the floor and the focus was Michael and his multiple characters and all that. So it, it didn't get used, but you can still see it in the, in the um, bonus material. So I was turned upside down to do that take uh, probably the second or third time. They put you in the body cast and then put the costume on over it. And I'm upside down and I hadn't taken a full breath. Oof. And all my weight kind of collapsed on my lungs. And I was like, oh, oh, I can't breathe. <laughs> and Zemeckis had already called action. And and I was flailing. I was ripping ripping the costume off. I was like, ah. And it was like, cut, cut, Jeffrey, what's wrong? And I was like, I can't breathe. I can't. <laughs> and uh, it took me a few minutes to uh, walk it off as it were. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm holding things up here, and it's probably $50,000 a minute. Uh, <laughs> Just be glad you weren't in the Avengers when that happened. <laughs> Ooh, woo. Well, 500000 a minute. Yeah. So, so then uh, you asked originally, what was the response when I came on set? And the first time I came on set in the young George makeup, uh, one of the first p- people I came face-to-face with was with Michael. And uh, Fox looked at me, and he said, Oh man, Crispin ain't gonna like this. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And and you know, Leah and and Crispin had a a very strong bond. I I was given their original screen tests uh, and makeup tests uh, to study for for the role, and they worked really well together. They did a lot of improvising with uh, like Neil Canton's nephew as Marty and and Tom and and Crispin had a really great rapport so they were very tight and they of course had the eight weeks with Eric Stoltz to shoot and then start over again what an incredible luxury for them to hone their characters and such because Zemeckis had such a nice success with Romancing the Stone I think the Universal when they gave Back to the Future a green light I think they gave him weeks and weeks of prep time to to work on the makeup and to help the actors develop the characters so they they really had a lot of bonding you know to hear that that crispin and leah made the painting together that shows that you know they really worked hard and i i was hanging out partying with billy zane i remember in his trailer and billy like turned to me and said you know i think leah really loved crispin i think i think there was something there i was like oh well this makes sense because (laughs) for actually several years after uh the shoot even when I'd run into Leah would bring her mother up to Universal where I was playing Stan Laurel with Charlie Chaplin or Groucho, she'd introduce me as the guy who played Crispin 
Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> Lord. Yeah. Although, I mean, it, we're, we're friends now and such, but, you know, back then it was, I think, probably very uncomfortable for her and probably for Michael and everyone else and definitely for Crispin. I always yeah, forget sure. that Billy Zane is in that. I remember I him in three and fleas in it too. and flea is in yeah. as well yeah billy Although, zane yeah i will say in 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 well, he's a great de- guy if in leah's defense because i can call her leah right? you're on that level uh, yeah i got you you know that could have just been shorthand for her mom like i know how trying to explain things to my mother or grandmother could be <laughs> and so it's like you know i don't think she ever called me by my name and oh, we were that's a shame uh in the makeup trailer for four hours at least four hours a day for what better part of six weeks yeah yeah that's tough and especially when it, like it was a big star and i i totally got it you know yeah. it didn't bother me that much it's just you know now we're pretty close you know and and uh she knows my name now which is good yeah yeah because <laughs> it, it, you didn't go gunning for the guy's gig like you know you're just a working actor it's kind of like the heat was it Michael Chiklis for when he played Belushi? Oh yeah, and yeah. and Wired like for so long there were people that were just so mad at him, and he's just like he's an actor. I'm a guy looking for a oh, gig. Believe me, I get I've had hate stuff from the Crispin fans. Oh, you wouldn't oh. believe what this crap that I've gone up against. But it's all wrapped up in the mess that yeah. uh, Bob Gale and Crispin butting heads with each other still. You know, it's freaking. Uh, 35 years later, guys, get over it. <laughs> yeah. But, I was uh, going to say, they still they still do, like, you know, get-togethers and things like that, and you never it, see... What would be nice is if they would just come together for a reunion for one of Michael, you know, for Michael's charity. Sure, right? Right, sure. People would pay a fortune to see that, and, and it would also probably level out both their karmas. <laughs> well what's nice is you know because i was curious how you came on board and so what it sounds like is it honestly genuinely sounds like you came on board to be a double and they were still trying to work stuff out with crispin and then when they couldn't that's when they said you're on full time like it sounds like the intentions were all genuine and then they just did the best with what they could with the mess it's and none of it is your fault obviously i i think so and, and you know looking back it it really feels like it was the in the 11th hour that my agent called me and said, you know, they are offering you the role. And and uh, they kind of lowballed me. And and it was in my my script number is like 175. You so know, I'm kind of I guess I'm I, I'm not the fifth copy of Paradox. <laughs> that was that was what. So when you say your script number was 175, does that mean that you were the 174th person to get the script? That's right. Got it. OK, I'm pretty and, sure that that's what it is. Yeah. And I'm just I'm curious. and I'm not trying to pry into your private matters I, i'm just curious when you I'll put my pants on yeah <laughs> would would you get a role like that in a film like that is that like life-changing money is that just pretty good money is that just another day at the office money like where does that kind of land in the spectrum because obviously kinda, that, that's a big dep- budget movie it depends on how strong your agent is unfortunately at the time my my great agent that uh, you know got helped me get in on Pale Rider and Twilight Zone etc. She had already shut her doors, uh, and I was with a, a I don't want to say a, a lesser agent, but an agent who didn't really think about the power of being asked to play one of the principals from the highest grossing film of 1985. Right sequel. You know, I was uh, I did a little bit better than when I had worked on Pale Rider, which was only you know, a couple grand a week, you know, Michael, I can't compare, you know, he was what, sure. 12 million and, and Leah was at least a million. 
I think Leah had to sue for her overtime too, if I remember. Wow. We, we but we all worked incredibly hard and uh, very long hours when we're doing the McFly kitchen stuff. You know, with the the uh, Tondro camera that split the film inside the camera. Right. Michael oh, had to yeah. change, and it took three hours for him to change into each character. Some of those days were nineteen to twenty six hours long. Oof, man! Wow. So, so was he? Fil- the overtime he... was really good. I bet yeah. it was. Was he? St- was he still filming Family Ties? Family Ties for while he was filming two, or was it just one? Uh, he was doing the one of the first seasons of Family Ties during one, and the last season of Family Ties during okay. two. Okay. Okay. And I was man. like, Michael, when do you sleep? <laughs> he said, uh, "In the limo and between the studios." I was like, "My God, uh, what a workhorse!" Yeah. Um, I remember during the screen test, just to jump back a little bit, next door to us at Universal, Dick Tracy was shooting. I love that movie. By the way, a little trivia. Do you know who owned Dick Tracy for probably 10 years, the rights to do it? As far as like a film? Yeah. And to play the role. No. It was Clint Eastwood. Oh, wow. wow. That would have been a completely different movie. it would have. (laughs) Sure would have. Anyways, uh, so I run into William Forsythe. You know, who played Flat Top. Yeah. And who else was there? I think Pruneface. Anyway, I'm, I'm made up as young George, and I come face-to-face with those guys and their prosthetics. <laughs> <laughs> and they're looking at, me, looking at me going, what the hell are you supposed to be? And I'm looking at them going, what the hell are you supposed to be? <laughs> it was a yeah, special the, moment. <laughs> the, William, the William Forsyth makeup, I remember that, was, was pretty extensive because they had to give him like a whole new head and a whole new... Like yeah, his whole head was amazing. completely different. Yeah, that well, was. Yeah. I was going to say, talk about prosthetics with that movie. Yeah, for sure, for sure. We worked with really these legends in uh, the makeup industry: Kenny Myers and uh, Marvin Westmore of the Westmore family, and Myers family, very famous, and and Sonny Berman of the Berman brothers, and and Zoltan and his wife who did the makeup on Mask, which which oh, I wow. also went up against Eric Zoltan. Yeah, um, and I went up against Eric and Dana Carvey and others on on War Games. Then a year later, in Lady Hawk, I, I've been up on a lot of big ones that just never, never really got in there to the to the, the front. But Back to the Future Part Two, where yeah. I get uh, sixth billing. Well, so so you kind of answered this before, but I was curious how they did all the upside down stuff. So they had a pole going through the floor to hold you. No, no, the the whole set, the whole McFly 2015 set, had uh, a, sort of a track going oh. from outside the front door. All the way through the living room and uh, through the uh, rumpus room where the TV was, and into the kitchen, and then, like I said, the pole going through the the set for the pizza scene, uh, where I wasn't on the track. Oh, okay. Oh, I see. I see. So, but so you were. So was the track on the ceiling or on the floor? On the ceiling. It was on the ceiling. Okay, but so you were you really upside down in all those scenes? I was really upside down. My goodness, (laughs) that's got to be an odd way to act in a scene upside down. I. Well, you know, I think they were there were a number of different things going on that they probably said, "Think quick, how are we going to get around this?" Not having yeah. Christmas. Um, while we were shooting, one of the crew guys came over and said, "You know, all this torture was meant for Christmas." You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they, you know, probably wanted to obscure me somewhat for the uh, big fans who were scrutinizing and looking for Christmas. Right. Uh, and still to this day, you know, I would say. 30, 35% of the fans out there still will not realize that there was a different actor. 
I didn't as a kid. I mean, until I got older, you know, I mean, I watched these movies when I was a young, young yeah, this, kid. So and I'm, so I didn't know, you know, at first. And yeah, then I got older. I'm like, that's a, oh, there's a different actor. <laughs> yeah. So I'm 37. So I was, I was three when the first one came out, but it's definitely one of the first times I remember falling in love with a movie. Sure. And like the entire series. And I didn't realize that it was yeah. somebody else until, you yeah, know, yeah, not until I'm, you're older. I'm watching, they, I'm watching it on DVD and they explain that. You know that there is somebody. Send me else your there. address. I'll, I'll send you an autographed picture. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> I would love it. But you do. They do a good enough job because the way it's shot, obviously, and you have Dean Cundy, who's one of my favorite cinematographers of, of all time. He's a, he's a wonderful really? man. Oh, he's. I mean, he's one of my favorites. Jurassic Park. I mean, that's one of my favorite films. Everything of all time. that John Carpenter did. Back to the Future. Yeah. So you've got great cinematographers. You have all this great makeup. The way they film it, it's like they do a good enough job obscuring you, and the way you portray George McFly, and you obviously study those tapes and everything i mean they do a good enough job to where really i don't think it's until you get to hd and get it really blown up that you could even tell now we're looking at everything in super high depth, <laughs> yeah, right, right? right but on vhs i don't think it really was that yeah uh, so i've been uh, once again kind of ostracized and yet the fans have embraced me you know the the whole thing with the controversy uh in hollywood it kind of put my career in a tailspin so i and the traffic in la just ruined my nerves so it was like time to get out so i i live outside of la up in the wine country in in california because my wife is in the wine business um and i and i still work in theater and film as i can up here um but it was really kind of the uh, the fans that uh have celebrated me and i think they realized that if it wasn't for me, I mean, it, it would have been probably another actor if it wasn't me, but sure. at least I was able to help the story continue pretty seamlessly. I mean, once again, they didn't have me play Seamus, which was that, meant for Crispin. That was going to uh, be my question. Did they offer to bring you in? Uh, Bob Gale uh, offered to give me another role without the prosthetic makeup. Okay. And and I, you know, reading the script, I said, well, I'd like to be the Western Union guy at the end of the film here. This <laughs> I like that. And he goes, I think that's already cast. I was like, darn, all right. Uh, so he said, we'll find you a cowboy or something. And, of course, that didn't pan out. Ah. And that ah. that's a shame because I think, like, putting you into the Seamus role would have been, like, an easier... That's what I would think. An easier hide in a lot of ways because you could you could have given him a, a big beard and mustache, yeah, and, and like old-timey you, Western, you, you know. Would have done, I'm assuming... So we know that in, in Part 3, Michael does that not the greatest irish accent <laughs> so you know that's another out for them where i you know maybe you could have done the accent of the irishman rather than michael j fox so it just gives them another reason to you know I, that i might have been able to i do uh, you know i'm all over the map with my <laughs> back on back to the future too so there are so many one of the reasons i love this movie so i think we all know that the first movie is so great it's the first of its kind. It was an incredible movie. The second one maybe isn't regarded as high from whatever perspective, a screenplay or, or whatever, but it's always really been my favorite because the way they play with time travel, the way that you get to see what you did in the first movie, but then you also get to go to the future, which is another one. <laughs> Until 2015 really hit and it was nothing like it. It was really cool as a kid to be like, oh my gosh, it's so crazy in 2015 in the future. Little did we know. I like two better than three. Well, yeah, I, I, absolutely. I think, like, no, and I don't know if you have any insight into this, but I always thought it was odd because I know that the sequel, the two sequels were filmed, you know, back to back, so it wasn't like they had a chance to react to the public's reaction. But I thought it was weird that two gets pretty dark, yeah, it and does, then, and then three turns around 
and goes like full on just family friendly adventure. Kind of campy, yeah. Yeah, and I just I thought that was such a weird shift in tone for considering that it's not like they released two and the public was wasn't cool with it and then they tried to write the ship like it was I think they were possibly looking at uh a, a Avengers Endgame and that it probably would have run three and a half hours or so because the two and three were originally one script called Paradox. Ah, oh, so it was all oh, supposed really? to, so they split it up. Okay. That's even weirder to me. I that, would agree that that, that's that was, because it doesn't, like, tonally, it does not feel like the same movie no, at all. Like when I, again, growing up, of course, like most kids wouldn't know they were filmed at the same time, right? And so I always saw them as totally separate movies. Yeah. They're so different. And then you find out they're filmed together and part of the same script. Like, it well, is interesting. You guys need to have uh, the Bobs on. You know, have Bob Zemeckis and, and Bob Gale on and ask them at what point did you decide <laughs> it was going to be two films instead of just the one. Well, do if we you, had the you have their numbers that, yeah. by and chance? Isn't Bob Gale's sure, from St. Sure, Louis, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bob here, Gale let me, is let me tell it to you on, on, <laughs> on the air. Perfect. Sure. Thank you. Yeah, wait, yeah wait. Bob, Bob Gale is, Bob Gale yeah, is from St. Louis. Yeah, yeah, he grew up in U-City. In yeah. fact, the town of... The theater there is based on the high point yep. locally. That that the way the streets feed into yep. it, funky. Yep. Like that's based on a on a spot in St. Louis that if you live here, is very recognizable. Very recognizable. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, that's my favorite part of the town there, over by the university. That's where all the antique shops are and stuff. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. That's, that's, exactly. Yeah. That's my favorite part of St. Louis. Going back to my question about two, so you, I love how they bounce around and they show you this future, but then you actually have to go back to, what is it, 1955? 1955. So they recreate, I'm guessing, they recreated these sets, and I think they look pretty much perfect. I mean, when I look at the first movie and I watch the second movie, I see how closely, do they have to rebuild most of that, or did they have stuff from the first, and what? how much time did all that take? Uh, well, once again, it was four years later that they threw enough money at all the principals to justify them all coming back and well most of the principals <laughs> well most of them that's right <laughs> poor, poor claudia god claudia wells was so upset um and uh you know i i think they did have have to rebuild a lot uh, wow. there had been one universal fire i don't think it burnt the town square yet but then again, they had to rebuild that for the future. Yeah. So that was pretty much from scratch. And if if you looked at those sets, both the exterior and the interiors, they were art directed within an inch of their lives. And Rick Carter and company just did an amazing, amazing work. I, in the McFly household in, inside, the, the slightest, smallest details were made futuristic. And I tell you, a good majority of that stuff never made it on camera. Wow. wow. It's crazy to when you watch that now, like it's almost like looking at old Star Trek episodes where like that technology has caught up. The scene where Marty's talking to Flea on the yeah. video on the video conference. Right, we are, we're literally doing it right, <laughs> right. now. <laughs> like it's <laughs> we haven't gotten the Or re- all the stuff that didn't come to fruition. Yeah, like, this seems so basic. The, the, but the, it re- was... the rehydrator never really made it into the <laughs> cultural zeitgeist but uh but like the video wall or or picture in picture the flux capacitor is coming it's (laughs) mr fusion is coming in fact i have a band called mr fusion that's pretty good that's pretty good that's great But yeah like the picture in picture on the tv where where marty jr is like wants to watch a bunch of different you know it's like it's funny when technology actually does catch up 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what you know? Google glasses. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, 3D. The Cubs winning the World Series. Like all of that stuff happened. Like that's and it, the Cubs winning the World Series. Like was, was only one like year off. one year off. One like, year that's off. insane. Well, and Hollywood the- was already doing it. Uh, do you remember Natalie Wood's last film, Brainstorm? That that kind of dealt with in a way virtual reality or transference of your experience to someone else. So in VR kind of does that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's very true. Yeah. It's just I always find the the I just refer to like the communicators on Star Trek, which are now like past what we have. Yeah, like yeah. those were those were flip phones. Nobody has a flip phone. Yeah, I, I got mine. You want to see it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how many days? Do, I mean, if you remember these details or can ballpark it, how many days were you on set and like how much was spent in 1955 for that big enchantment under the sea dance? Uh, yeah, that was probably the first thing that I was part of the shoot. You know, I want to say two weeks for the 55 stuff and two weeks for the 2015 stuff and then just a day on part three uh, about a year later. <laughs> oh, so, okay. Uh, so there, there's, you know, they weren't uh, all in line. It was stretched out over a six-week period. Gotcha. Okay. Did you get to Did you get to explore any of that future stuff? Like when you weren't filming, did you get to see all that crazy stuff they built for the 2015 Oh, yeah. I, I remember coming on the set. I wasn't in any of the exterior stuff on 2015 Hill Valley, but I came on that set because it was so exciting to be there. And, and uh, since I was part of the cast, I could just walk on. I, I remember my, my nephew was in town from Oklahoma, and I, I uh, brought him on the set and introduced him to Michael, and his name is Sam. And, and Michael said, hey, I, I named my kid Sam. You know, and and uh, that was a really nice moment for my nine-year-old nephew who never has still never forgotten it. Thirty years later, that's, I'm telling you, it, it's it's amazing how a single uh, good or nice impression from a celebrity or a sport or an athlete will stick with you for the rest of your life. Yeah, and how much an awful one will also yes, stick with yes, you they will. Oh, I got those. Yeah, yeah. I got those too. <laughs> I wanted to, I guess, talk about what was it like. Again, just going back to that makeup briefly, was it the the traditional like foam rubber? Yeah, it was uh, the the kind of thicker, you know, what's not like a uh, sponge, but more condensed foam rubber with glue. Yeah. <laughs> I, oh man. I remember at uh, one day, I guess we had a power outage in the makeup trailer, and a lot of the pieces shrank <laughs> because they had to stay refrigerated in the hot heat and, uh, on location. And so they did uh, like an emergency makeup patch on me using what was it, Michael's forehead and Tom's cheeks or something. I don't. I remember what they pieced together, but and then putty, <laughs> you know, fill the cracks with the putty knife. <laughs> they, they didn't want me to eat because the the sides of the mouth would crack. Mm, you know, man. if you can eat through a straw, please do. <laughs> uh, if you get an itch, you know, you just gotta pad it but hopefully not collapse it Uh, you know it it was it was trying um and once again three and a half to four hours a day just to apply it so if i had to be on set by 9 a.m you know i was in the makeup chair by four in the morning and and in the evening when we were shooting since michael was shooting family ties during the day i would have to be in the makeup chair by 4 p.m to be ready to go by 8 p.m and 8 30 in the evening did you ever ask or did it ever come up as to why they couldn't just age you up for the old stuff? And I mean, why couldn't they just recast like with Jennifer's character? You know, is it that big of a deal to make you who are they trying to fool? You know, 
Uh, yeah. Well, hmm. when you when you have Spielberg on, you can ask him. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just didn't know I, if you ever asked, like, why are we doing all this in specific? Like, well, once again, I think it's the continuity. They wanted they they had painted themselves into a corner, and uh, they needed to do what they did. And it was once again rush, rush, hurry up. Now that everyone's on board, everyone's got different production schedules because everyone's at different levels of their careers or what have you pulling them. And now we have a green light. And they had advertised in Variety and the Hollywood Reporter. All the principals were coming back to reprise their roles. Gotcha. Oof. So let's let's do some Hollywood magic and make it seem that way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I have a question about one of the other uh, items on your resume because uh, I'm old time. Oh, listen! That 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 porno has been pulled down. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, yeah. The, the porno was cracked to the future, right? <laughs> <laughs> what kind uh, of crack is that? <laughs> no. So I saw you. Uh, you were on. Uh, uh, you were on Diagnosis Murder, and that was the Dick Van Dyke show, correct? Yes. So I, I'm just. I love that era of Hollywood. Dick Van. I, I don't know if you had any Dick Van Dyke stories from. From being on that when i was going to the american conservatory theater in san francisco i'd go thrift shopping i was a poor student and i found an alpaca sweater old golf sweater with the dick van dyke label Ooh, that I, wow. I ended up buying for two dollars or something and and i kept it and then when i got cast on that show i brought it to the set with me and i one of the first things i did was find Dick's assistant and showed it to her. And she said, oh, can I show this to Dick? And I said, yes, please. <laughs> That's the whole idea. And uh, about uh, she brought it back to me after a while. And about uh, 20 minutes later, Dick came out and he found me and said, are you the guy with the sweater? And I said, yeah. And he goes, I had forgotten totally that I had lo- loaned my name to these those people. And I'm <laughs> sure I've got a couple in a box somewhere. And I think he was hinting that he wanted my sweater. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, but that broke the ice. And he and I, because I played Stan Laurel. Right. He's a huge. And I was friends with Stanley's daughter, Lois, for many years and her late husband, Tony. And now Lois has passed, unfortunately. I had a lot of uh, mutual ground to chat with Dick. And we ended up when we weren't on set shooting, uh, chatting and talking. I got great stories of Dick's dinner with Eleanor and Buster Keaton and his stories of, of about Stanley and. Uh, his work on the comic, you know the yeah, the, no, that's, I yeah, I've seen that movie. That's a it's flawed, but it's fascinating. Well, and he said that he was it Suzanne Pluchet, uh, the female lead. Anyway, he had uh, Carl Reiner had them shooting miles and miles of footage of the silent stuff, right? That didn't make it to the film, and he was like somewhere, somewhere in someone's warehouse, Carl. <laughs> uh, that Unfortunately, that warehouse I think burned a few years back, Oof. so I don't know if that footage is still extant. But uh, it was really great to share this quality time with one of my childhood idols. I, I even said to him at one point, you know, I, I always wanted to grow up and be you. And he got this kind of twisted look on his face like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it was, it was a real thrill for me to work on that diagnosis murder, uh, mainly because I got that quality time with, with Dick to, uh, you know, be friendly. And I, I tried twisting his arm to come to the Sons of the Desert Laurel and Hardy fan club right. to tell stories. Um, and I, I have a few snaps. I'll send to you a copy of them 
where Dick and I are both doing our Stan Laurel impressions. That's pretty cool. Oh, that's really sweet. That's pretty awesome. That's awesome. I was also Screech's guru on Say by the Bell. I don't know if you're Say by oh, the really? Bell. Really? Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I played the high geek. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, Elizabeth had broken her leg uh, in a skiing accident, and so they came up with this weird uh, episode, which was kind of a fantasy episode where they form a rock band, and Casey Kasem was the other guest star, and and I was the. Uh, when when the band breaks up and everyone's in turmoil, uh, Screech goes to his guru to get advice. And as the high geek, I tell him to marry a cheerleader and and move to the beach. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's yeah. good advice though. I mean, it's solid advice. That's solid advice. Yeah, yeah. it was my own buck teeth and thick glasses in that. The production didn't supply any of that. I, that was all mine. Oh, that's. I mean, just like Back to the Future, Saved by the Bell was a huge part of my childhood. Oh, me too. Up. Yeah, that's great. Now, do you hit many of the cons for Back to the Future stuff? Well, I was at the very first cast reunion at the Hollywood show in 09 or 08, whatever that was. And that was the first time I really felt appreciated by the fans. It was kind of cool. And uh, Leah and Chris were there. And then Michael did a surprise unannounced appearance and got mobbed. That was real fun. Uh, And, you know, Michael wasn't doing the shows at all. And in 2015, I had between... 09 and 15 done a few and uh jason joiner who runs the london film and comic-con brought me over to a couple of his shows collector mania and the london film and comic-con and i ran into him at the gallifrey one the, the doctor who show and he said jeffrey we love having you over tell me how can i do a reunion how do i get tom and michael to come and i said i'll i'll write them both i'll write tom and and tell him how Nicely, you've treated me, but Tom doesn't do any Back to the Future events because he I'm not, I'm not sure if he had some bitter taste from pay discrepancy or just wasn't tired of being associated with Biff's or whatever. He does stand up. Uh, he now, just right? didn't do them. Yeah. And then uh, I said with Michael, I think you should just, you know, match whatever he's asking uh, towards his charity. And sure enough, um, my, it was the first con that Michael did. And we had 11 of the cast members over there in wow, 2015. Wow. Wow. And, and Andrew Probert happened to be there, too, who was on the design team for the DeLorean Time Machine. And uh, from Star Trek uh, spaceships, he designed all. And I, even though he wasn't on stage, I made a note to point him out in the crowd of 5,000. I said, Andrew Probert's out there. And he stood up and, and wept. He was lo- happy to get uh, recognized. So it was a really lovely uh, cast reunion and uh, now that uh, Tom is doing shows again, it seems to be kind of the big four cornering the market. It's, you know, Tom and Leah and, and Michael and Chris. And, and Michael, you know, even though his Parkinson's is very advanced and, and uh, very apparently stressing on him with the shakes and such, uh, he's still hanging in there. He did have to have back surgery and he also... Uh, broke his arm and had to cancel a few shows, and now he's doing the makeup. See, he just did Calgary, and he's going to do the makeup in uh, Texas next weekend. Oh, wow. It seems like your trajectory with the fan base seems very similar to the actor who played Jar Jar Binks. Like, he took so yeah, much. that's true. He took so much heat for that. Um, not as a replacement, but just people didn't care as for the character. As an awful character. <laughs> yeah, and... And and then the last few years, people seem to have really kind of come around and been like, well, it ain't that dude's fault. Yeah, he's doing a job. Yeah. And and it's being a part of an iconic film. Back to the Future is now up there with Star Wars. Is, yeah. Oh, without question. Absolutely. Uh, all-time trilogies. And, uh, you know, I, I still pinch myself 
that I get to do some traveling and, and meet these fantastic people. Like I, I mentioned earlier, I'm a real people person. And as soon as I did a few cons, my Facebook, you know, has a max of 5,000 friends and I maxed out immediately. That's um, awesome. Be- you- because I'm very friendly and people, you know, I'm your best buddy now. <laughs> do you think that it's the, it's the addition of the bonus features on the DVDs, the Blu-rays, what have you, that kind of, you said that you've had some some of the the Crispin diehards that were were pretty hard on you. Do you feel like the the advent of the special features and getting your story to more people, where it's just like I was just I'm just a guy doing a job. Like they they hired me. I didn't I didn't take Crispin's job away from him. He kind of well, took it away from himself. Do you think that helps? I see their point. In fact, if you want to get some insight, re- I did an early on uh, Ask Me Anything on Reddit. It went fairly well until some of those Crispin fans <laughs> came on and tr- ripped me a new ass. You know, it was <laughs> it was pretty brutal. And the other folk on Reddit were like, hey, "Shut up, you know, get out of here." But uh, but I I still I get it. If you if your heart is you know, you have committed and you're in that group that uh, teams camp, you want to be their cheerleader and support sure. them. And if if your team was done wrong by a foul play or by an unfair call, you're not going to let that go too easily. And I think that's kind of a simile to what happened with him. And and once again, I'll reiterate, I was a fan of Crispin's, or I'm still kind of a fan of Crispin's. After he got his three-quarter of a million dollar settlement using photographs of mine and testimony and such, uh, you know, I called him up to see if, you know, you wanted to talk about it or go to dinner or something. And and he just absolutely no communication at all. When I left a message on his phone after his phone machine answered, I just did my hello, you know, in his voice. <laughs> and he thought I was one of his other friends. And he goes, hi, hey, Mark, how are you? Or whoever it was. I go, no, it's Jeffrey. And he was like, uh, uh, oh, got to go. Oh, my God. Uh, wow. You know what we should do is we need to get you cast in a Friday the 13th movie just so we can stick it to him one more time because that crispin glover was also murdered in a friday the 13th oh, okay movie. <laughs> i was like huh? he was yeah he was in uh, he was like part six or something gotcha. he was, he, i think you're the pre, horror guy I yeah he was in like uh, he was pre I, Back I really i don't have anything against crispin like i said uh, or bob gale but you know bob has contradicted me in books you know my stories that you know i'm pretty honest i'm telling what happened from my own experience and Bob Gale likes to deny my reality. And I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's just because they, the controversy and the, the pressure for the public image outweighs reality for them. Or they, they just have to be in control. Sure. And it's, and it's kind of unfortunate, like I say. But we move on. I always tell my wife when discussing my ex-wife. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's the hero of their own story. Nobody thinks they're the bad guy when they are. Yeah, right. when she is. And when she is. Yeah. <laughs> not, <laughs> not you, Jeffrey. I'm no, sorry. Yes, not you. <laughs> Just to be clear. I so mean, what I'm, do you? I'm no saint. I'm I'm no saint, but uh, I really also think I did get the short end of a, the stick quite often. But like I say, the uh, the makeup for it now is the kind of adoration uh, and respect I get from fans around the world. It, it's thrilling. I just did a uh, interview in Australia, a live interview for on their number one entertainment show and it was so exciting and the hosts both the hosts didn't realize it was a different george <laughs> oh wow <laughs> oh my god and it, it was kind of cool to uh enlighten and then also entertain 
Well, that's awesome. I'm glad that has come full circle. Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's a, it's a happy ending because it obviously, like I said, you were just a guy taking a gig, man. Yeah, like you yeah, didn't do anything doing a job. Wrong. If anything, they should be glad because if if there hadn't been someone to fill that role, like the whole project could have fallen apart. That's like true. that that happens. Yeah, we wouldn't know? have gotten the the goodness. Okay, of two and now you you're building me up. You mean <laughs> I the whole project? I love yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean I mean that happens with movies yeah. though when they can't when they can't get a key person back. It just kind of all goes kerpoof kaput. Yeah, so. You personally saved the Back to the Future franchise. Yeah, I did. I did. They were yeah. being thrown so much money. <laughs> they, I remember at, at one point Variety called it Back to the Bank. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, That's funny. That makes sense. So to kind of wrap things up here, one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you, aside from our adoration for this film and the trilogy, is you've got the big 30th anniversary coming up. I mean, this movie is 30 years old. Yes, and I and I managed to get sixth billing. Uh, my agent didn't negotiate that title card, uh, shared title card. I actually did that with Robert Zemeckis, which really pissed the producers off. Oh. <laughs> but it was going to be a step backwards in my career. I'd already gotten you know shared billing with Clint Eastwood on Pale Rider and on other films, and and it's just like I don't want a little tiny in credit. I'm right. working on my career here. And Zemeckis said, I have no problem with that. You know, I won't give you a solo, but give you a shared. So James Tolkien and I uh, shared the title card. Nice. That's awesome. And hoping that there are, are going to be other offers for this anniversary year. I've got some charity events happening. Like I mentioned, I put a band together called Mr. Fusion, which is made up of uh, cast members. I, I've got Don Fullalove, who played Mayor Goldie Wilson. Maya! Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and I play guitar and... Dave McFly, who was played by uh, Mark McClure, yeah, who played Jimmy Olsen. Jimmy Olsen, Superman yeah, films. for sure. Uh, he's on drums. And our lead singer is Harry Waters Jr., who played Marvin Berry, Chuck's cousin. That's amazing. That's great. This is cool. That's yeah. so awesome. And so not far from you in Chicago on July 19th, 20th, is a fundraiser for Parkinson's. Uh, Lou is putting it all together. Uh, a really sweetheart of a fan whose just heart is into you know, making money for the cause. And, it, it, you know, bottom line now, it is really all about Michael and, and helping. And uh, that's why I put the band together originally for the Back to the Future cruise I produced back in 2015. Then some dear friends of ours who built their own Time Machine DeLorean out of South Carolina, they put together an event last year and they're bringing it back to celebrate Back to the Future Part 3, where they shot it up in Sonora and Jamestown and Columbia. And that's in September and that one is uh, back to 1885.com. Uh, and that's an amazing fan celebration, immersive, uh, all Back to the Future Part 3 stuff that will blow your mind. It, if you're an adamant fan, you will have the time of your life. And then there's the We're Going Back is coming back, uh, which is in L.A. And that one, which is also a fundraiser, but all of these are fundraisers for Parkinson's, Team Fox. Joe Walser. And uh, Michael Clasterin. Michael was the uh, unit publicist on part two and part three. And Joe Walser has been the head of the team restoring the number one card, the DeLorean. Oh, nice. And they took over and are producing this event where we go to the locations we shot at. And cast members and crew members from those scenes are there to answer, do Q&As with fans that, that arrive from around the world. Wow. So, That's pretty awesome. If you go to Stephen Clark, who has been the anchor of the Back to the Future family with the BTTF.com or BackToTheFuture.com website, 
he posts all the appearances and all these events on the Back to the Future uh, website, which is getting a revamp and launching this month. Great. Oh, fantastic. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking time to join us today. The, the, you've been a wonderful interview and great stories. Yeah, it's been it's been pretty awesome to listen yeah. to some of this stuff. I've got more. When do we talk Pale Rider? <laughs> I know, right? I, I know. I was like, Pale Rider? That's, that's one of my favorites. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, we'll have you back on the Pale Rider episode. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and Johnny Dangerously. And uh, I know. I skipped that one. Not willingly, <laughs> but just trying to let you have a life, too. <laughs> well, it was really great meeting you guys, and uh, I'll see you in the future. So uh, that's it for this one. I guess let's go around the table and everyone can say where to find them. This is Joe. You can follow me on the Twitter at Joey Butts, B-U-T-T-S 21. This is Kevin. Follow me on Twitter at Kevin R. Brackett. And this is Tom. You can follow me on Twitter at Roger Kubert or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Tom O'Keefe. You can find the show online, Facebook.com slash Real Spoilers. Check out our Patreon at Patreon.com slash Real Spoilers. So uh, that's it for this one. Thanks for tuning in. And until next time, our kids are assholes. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.